We are recording. We are recording for sure. Checking. I okay. pressed it twice. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, we're back. I guess we should introduce who we are. I think we didn't do that the last. I'm Ethan. I'm CJ. Uh, Randy. Yeah, and we're back. Uh, this week we're going to be uh, going back. We're taking a, a blast from the past and uh, looking at a movie from... 12 years ago? 13 years ago? I think 14. 14, if you count the TIFF premiere. Yes. Uh, Terry Gilliam's Tideland, uh, a first time watch for me. Yeah, oh. me too. Second time. Yeah. For me. Yeah. But uh, I, is this something I never, you never thought you'd have to watch this movie? <laughs> no, I never thought about it at all. <laughs> this was something I'd always been kind of meaning to watch, but I, I was oddly curious about it, but I'd never been quite a big enough Terry Gilliam fan to ever really dedicate time to it and now having done so i'm glad i did even if i really didn't enjoy the experience yeah i did not have that experience after watching it i was like i could have done it yeah i could have lived with that <laughs> it's i i wanted when you yeah when you just suggested ether it was your pick al that ethan told me i was like okay because for years now, I've said, um, my line with Terry Gilliam is, I think I'm allergic to Terry Gilliam's movies, <laughs> yeah. because I am just so, I have a, it's not even like a moral thing, I just am like viscerally repulsed yeah. by these movies, just on like an aesthetic level, and I don't know why, and I haven't seen his films in ages, so I was like, I'll, I'll give this a try, because mm-hmm. when I saw it back in like 2006, 2007... I think I was like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hated it immensely, so I wanted to come back. And uh, wait, well, at least I was like, I'm going to give it a like. I'll, yeah, I was yeah. open to a rewatch because I was feel like it's. I felt like I should. And reassess. that's how you give Terry Gilliam a fair shake. You go back to. <laughs> I went to his. Um, <laughs> like yeah, his Nadir for me. We're doing this on the heels of his The Man Who Don- Killed Don Quixote finally uh, coming out in theaters a full year after it leaked out online. Um, but uh, wait, have you seen it? No, I just as again, I just have not had the interest to like watch. <laughs> I might kind of did want to now, honestly, after watching this, just to you know check up on him. Yeah, so we should maybe we should say what Tideland is about. Uh, it is about a little girl living with her two um, heroin addicted parents in the cinematic universe of Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> um, <laughs> Where uh, she lives with two content heroin, yeah, heroin addicted parents uh, in the uh, rural Jack Texas. Bridges and Jennifer Tilly. Tilly in what's rural Texas, but uh, I'm glad to tell you is actually uh, the Badlands of Saskatchewan. Yes, uh, which where I assume there's a good tax Canadian credit. co-production. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why Jennifer Tilly's in there. Yeah, yeah. They didn't even go to Alberta. They went <laughs> to Saskatchewan. Yeah, good for the uh, you know they could have uh, used the tax. Uh, Credit. Uh, but eventually, spoiler alert, uh, her parents die, both of them, within the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And she's left stranded on her own with her and her three doll heads she keeps <laughs> on her fingers and talks to. And eventually she comes into the presence of Dick- Dickens, a mentally retarded young man. Am I allowed to say mentally retarded? Is that not politically correct anymore? Um, well, when it gets out there, you'll find <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when you run for office. I'll we'll, bleep, uh, yeah, I'll bleep this. Uh, and his uh, witch-like sister. That whole story takes about 129 minutes. No, I think it's two hours flat. Yeah, and it feels a little longer to be <laughs> a immensely longer. Uh, I guess we should set up the backstory behind this movie. Is that Gilly made this while in post-production on uh, The Brothers Grimm, his kind of big-budget fantasy film from 2005. He was fighting with the Weinsteins. 
and had basically a six-month break during post-production where they were squabbling over Final Cut where he could, he said, you know what, I need to like wash my hands of this awful experience of working at the Weinsteins and make like a down-and-dirty indie movie. Which and still there was the, the glimmer of Canadian tax credits. Yeah, and apparently it still cost $19 million, which if you want to wonder why the bottom fell out of indie film, I think you can look <laughs> at something like this. Um, but, uh, and he... Spade, what is a film I think I, I like I haven't seen Brothers Grimm, didn't have the time this week to watch it. I, did, I haven't seen Jabberwocky, but I think it's like unlike his other films in the pure level of unpleasantness on display. Yeah. Well, I mean he's always going for like this kind of grotesquerie, but it's always done sort of tongue in cheek, and I guess this is the movie where it's not as tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> it's just grotesque and unpleasant all the way through yeah and a lot of the movies just shot in canted angles and wide angle lenses yeah. and the camera is always moving yeah. and people are I actually read shouting. about that this morning apparently the reason he loves wide angles is because when he was making movies for lower budgets it would make the sets look bigger yeah <laughs> really stuck <laughs> god almighty yeah <laughs> Really, I, it's a weird. Yeah, it's a weird. Th- I can't even talk about his other films because I've I've only seen, well, from memory, Brazil, mm-hmm. and then I tried Fear and Loathing, and I tried Twelve Monkeys, mm-hmm. and I tried to think Brothers Grimm in the like fifteen minute bursts, and I always just quit because mm-hmm. I just I'm like, nope, I don't like these at all. So this is a really, it's. It starts out like revolting for me in a way because it is really unpleasant, but then it kind of transcends the unpleasantness of just like this girl who's in this terrible situation and it becomes more of like just an awful experience of watching something mm-hmm. it just it it's doesn't really stop. unfair to the child actor who has to carry yeah. the whole movie with jeff bridges rotting corpse just yeah sitting oh, looking like something from the, from the jeepers creepers movie and she's putting on again canadian actress uh child actress putting on this affected southern texas accent uh and then also like for the doll heads she also voices them and is putting on like british accents and i feel like a lot of the dialogue was was adr'd mm-hmm. um and it's just it's like a really unpleasant experience like just mm-hmm. i felt sorry for her the whole movie and I, I think i can sort of say this after thinking about the movie i do think this film comes from a place of contempt for as jeff wells would call it, the hinterland bumfucks yeah uh, i i watched a making of on the making film directed by vincenzo natale called getting gilliam and there's a point where they're shooting the day after george w bush was reelected. And Gilliam's like talking like this film, this scene I'm putting this is a commentary on evangelical America. He's like crossing his arms and really angry. And I, at that point, I, I <laughs> well, that's the thing I think with Gilliam is why I, I always say I like like him, don't love him. Like I, I didn't like him enough to ever actually watch this movie until we did this podcast. Is that I think there's sort of a limit to his worldview. I don't think it's that interesting at the end of the day. It's just a, it's always just sort of comes down to we use imagination to escape the pains of everyday <laughs> yeah. life. And it's just what is interesting is his style. And I think this is maybe why his last few films have just kind of really fallen flat is because now he's working in this computer-generated, low-budget age where his style can't really be have that tactile quality that's something like Which Time Bandits. Which is the same or, problem we had with uh, another little film we saw this week called <laughs> Dumbo. <laughs> well, I think that's an interesting comparison because I think also Gilliam sort of falls in line with directors who were big in the 80s and 90s like Jean-Pierre Genet or Amir Costa Rica or Peter Greenaway who had this very Baroque, grotesque style. And the CGI age just did not yeah, benefit them. Mm-hmm. Because it's so it's so easy for them to like 
make their visions happen and like it just it feels cheap now mm-hmm. i don't know well but say what you will about this movie i think this will be the last <laughs> gilliam film to actually elicit a strong response from people because yeah. like looking at the uh, wikipedia critical reception page having people say this film was offensive and a monstrosity like I don't think the Zero Theorem is exactly getting the same level of... <laughs> I don't think... No. Well, I remember when it came out, because it premiered at TIFF, like, weeks after the Brothers Grimm came out, and I think people were disappointed by the Brothers Grimm, and it had just won a prize at, like, some European film festival, mm-hmm. I forget which one, uh, but there was, like, the narrative that, like, oh, this was the real Gilliam, yeah. and then it came out, and everybody fucking hated it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, like, I think there was that sort of, like, raised expectations for it, which didn't pan out for him <laughs> in this yeah. instance. And there's a weird thing, and the one thing I associate with so much is kind of, like, a weird aside of it, is that, um, before the film, I think when the film was shooting, Sarah Polly put out this exchange that her and Terry Gilliam had, because she was, she was in the, the, the Bear Munchausen, yeah, Bear Munchausen. Yeah. and she basically wrote him an email back when the I think the star had this article that was how it started and she she just said was like hey uh, I was really traumatized by working on <laughs> Munchausen it was really bad like explosives went off in my face and like my and she she was basically letting him know like hey this is really my parents fault because they forced me to do this and it's not really your responsibility in that sense but you should be aware of this now that you're working with the kid again and it's just like and then he responded to her it was their whole exchange and it's weird to see now because it's like 2005, and the dialogue between them is actually really like productive. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if anything like that happened now, that would just it'd be canceled. It'd just be like it'd be like Terry Gilliam retire, bitch. Like yeah. done. I well, remember that. I thought she only sent that that happened a few years ago, but I guess that must have been like a reprinting. Because I remember that happening after like Me Too. Well, it, it surfaced but, again yeah. because Terry Gilliam was making the Me Too comments. I forget what. They and were. then Ellen Barkin had a sort of tweet that maybe alluded to something <laughs> yes. happening. And then, then people started bringing up the Sarah Polly uh, exchange, but that exchange was actually, and that was basically she was kind of telling him like you should do these things working on this film with with the actress Jodell uh, Furland because like you know don't <laughs> I don't want her getting traumatized like I did. She just <laughs> like she said something like she still leaps or like ducks when a car door closes too hard because yeah. of like explosions from the set, and it's just like a weird thing, and that's always something that's I've associated with this film, and I mean it's just funny because then when you watch the film. It's like, oh, there's, like, implications of incest and pedophilia and, like, all these horrible things that are happening around her or sometimes to her in the film. She, like, has to kiss the, the, like, grown mentally disabled (laughs) man and there's, like, a suggestion of, like, a romance between them. Played by Uwe Boll, regular Brendan Fletcher. (laughs) Yeah. Canadian tax credit. Where <laughs> I, I have a weird habit where when I'm watching a movie that I know is a Canadian or like television yeah. kind of thing, I will count the amount of Canadian actors I recognize and yeah. see the ratio of Canadian yeah. to international this, actors. This movie feels a bit like Terry Gilliam's Masters of Horror episode or something. Yeah, sort of. It has that kind of... Cheap Canadian. <laughs> not even cheap. I mean, it's, it's kind of... And even his CGI is not so terrible in this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not distractingly awful, which... Um, it's still not good. Well, I guess in 2005, he didn't have the budget to, like, fill it with CGI. I think yeah. Brothers yeah. Grimm is probably a little worse on that. Front. Yeah. <laughs> oh, way. And, and well, Parnassus too was the first yeah. one where it's... I could tell, oh, he's not going to adapt to the new age of cinema. Well, I was going through, I was going through his filmography, and I was like, yeah, he did have lots of issues with his productions, because Parnassus, you know, Heath Ledger died, and they mm-hmm. had to write around it, and then Brothers Grimm, and then... 
Um, obviously, obviously, yeah, yeah the, the the Don Quixote film and, and Los Lamanches. Brazil and Munchausen both had like interference mm-hmm. from studios. And I'm just whatever. like, it's the, then Barbie's like, maybe it's a sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just you know. <laughs> oh yeah, he's he's this contradiction where he can only be an interesting filmmaker with money. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so going back to his worldview, though, like I did. Um, I used to not think all that much of Brazil because I thought that, like, just whining about bureaucracy yeah. is, like, kind of a limited thing to do. Um, but I don't know. Like, these days, I think maybe it's a, it's more of, like, a cry against neoliberalism. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> about the, like, indignities of having to, like, go through procedures every day of your life and, like, just never getting to be yourself. So I'm willing to give his earlier films another shot, even though I haven't seen... A few of them, I think you could genuinely call the, his early films the early funny ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I did watch Time Badass for the first time last night, and I thought it was very fun and charming. Yeah, I, I think there, there's a lightness to his film. Maybe, I don't know if Fisher King or Twelve Monkeys is kind of the turning point where he became a prestige. Probably, probably Fisher King. <laughs> yeah, and so. well, it's interesting you brought up Fear and Loathing near the beginning. That's a movie that was a huge deal at the time, and it's like it was a, a, you know, a dorm room poster. Yeah, Fixture, yeah I don't know if it was a huge deal nope. so much as one a uh, huge deal for a college nobody, student. Nobody <laughs> talks about that or watches it. Like, I feel like even like something like, I don't know, Boondock Saints gets more of a kind of like derisive, you know, is derisively bought, brought up on Twitter more often. Whereas Fear and Loathing, I think, is a movie just that's really people are, for the most part, actually indifferent towards. I think they're different. They're more okay with it maybe because yeah. it's because the thing about Gilliam that I think can get away is that he is more singular in a way like Thailand his movie that it's a weird thing because like when we watch Thailand it's it's once again like there are things that where I feel like morally I'd be like this is awful but it's so weirdly specific and in its own bad world that I'm just kind of like you know whatever it's someone off in the corner doing something stupid um, so I'm thinking that's, I think that's, I think that's why, I think that's why I kind of take, why I think people are just, because like, it's, it's also Hunter S. Thompson, I think the association has coverage is kind of like, you know, yeah. Thompson's doing his thing, whereas like, Boondock Saints is like, it's way more, um, awful, I think, yeah, politically, yeah, yeah. morally, whereas I think Gilliam's too weird to kind of have those thrown at him. I, I mean, I think we're saying all this negative stuff about Tideland, but at least I know on my end, I sort of came out of the movie oddly respecting it, maybe because I went on my laptop about an hour into it to kind of escape <laughs> from it. <laughs> I, it's, it's funny, we were talking, I remember before we recorded uh, last episode, you brought up the that Onion article, holy shit, there's 45 yeah. minutes. I had a point with this where I was convinced it was wrapping up, and I checked the time. I saw there was 35 minutes left, <laughs> and went, oh. Yeah. Um, but I came with, like, cause it, the film that immediately came to mind as a comparison was Beast of the Southern Wild. Yeah, I would too. take this movie any day yes, over that. We, I would take no. the con- utter contempt this movie has and hatred <laughs> and violence I, over I it. absolutely agree, because that, that was what I had in my head, too, because I was just watching it. And uh, I was watching with someone, and, and God bless them for, for deciding to watch it with me. And they also were re-watching. And um, we both agreed. Like we, I was said, I said, this reminds me of Beast of Southern Wild. He's like, well, I'm not sure. And I said, you know, it has the, the, the escapism, the father-daughter thing, all this yeah. stuff. And and I was like, and he and he said, I would watch Thailand any day over Beast of Southern Wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, 
Absolutely. Like, I mean, it is, it's at least this contextualizes things or there's like a remove. Mm -hmm. Like when they're having, you know, when Jeff Bridges' character is taken by uh, uh, Janet McTeer, the weird mm -hmm. one-eyed lady. Yeah. Just like Rob Zombie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like Rob Zombie. And, uh, and then she basically like embalms his body and, and then they have like, they redo the house and it's this yeah. like gospel song playing. It's meant to, but you obviously have this room of like, no, this is extremely fucked up and like there's this distance whereas something like Beast of the Wild is like, no, this is awesome and terrific. These yeah. like, I, I <clears throat> haven't seen it since it came out. I don't uh, think anyone has yeah, seen it I know. since it came yeah. out. And, and I'm actually kind of looking forward to his new movie just so people can go back yeah, and, ever, yeah. and I'm hoping the tide will turn people Probably. be like, no, wait, this movie is dog shit but uh when i saw Be i just remember there's a point in beast in the wild where like the girl she gets on like a boat and there's like a guy in the boat and he's just like i don't know where we're going we just go where we go it's like some shit like that <laughs> i remember i saw i was just like enraged like why are people loving this why was it so emphatically recommend there's no bullshit like that yeah in thailand it's bad but at least it doesn't have this like insidious thing of of um I know when you wrote on, on Letterboxd, you talked about, like, Sean Baker as well and yeah. other filmmakers. Um, <laughs> but, like, the, the insidious, like, thing of, like, you know, these people are just making the best with what they yeah, got. And let's not question anything yeah, about the terrible Easy peasy situation. humanism exactly. kind of, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this doesn't have that. At least contextualizes it or has a remove, <laughs> yeah. but it's still very bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I will ever watch Tideland again. I can say that. Well, I would I maybe, well, maybe I would hate Watch Beasts of the Southern Wild again. I don't know. You know, I have, like, I think right after the, the spot where Jeff Bridges dies, like, I was like, oh, we must be, you know, like, at least halfway through. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I'm going to get up to, like, you know, get some food or something. Uh, and then I, like, paused it and realized that it was, like, 23 yeah. minutes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's so... It's like, and God, I gotta give credit to Jeff Bridges and Jennifer Tilly. Like, the easiest paychecks yeah. they probably ever cashed their yeah. life. It's like, okay, Jeff, just sit there for, like, an hour. <laughs> I can only imagine what seeing this movie at the TIFF premiere in 2005 must have been like... I don't think it mattered. Tiff inflates the shit out of everything. Yeah. So people were probably sort of like, oh, it's so amazing. And then it actually comes out and everyone suddenly is just... I mean, back then you didn't have the internet, so there was less. Um, there were less, let's say, receipts about people and their shitty opinions because they get inflated at a festival. Then it comes out and they go, oh... Before wait. everybody posted their opinions on Twitter the minute they got out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably the treatment of the uh, Dickens character would not be well received by Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know about that. I mean, I kind of, I mean, Brendan Fletcher, I feel, is typecast into being, like, annoying <laughs> in everything I've seen him. He's not a bad, he's not this bad actor, I just... Um, well, that one, like, contrasted with, like, Time Bandits, where also not PC representation yeah. of dwarves, maybe. Um, but, like, you know, like, all those characters have their quirks and they're like kind of charming in a way but it's like all of the eccentric characters in this movie are just like extremely unpleasant <laughs> and you don't want to be around them <laughs> i think yeah there was a, it's it's i'm trying to think there's like a point where it starts crossing over and i was just like oh like i don't know if it was when she was watching uh i let's say Rob Zombie having sex with yeah. that random guy who delivers groceries. Oh, yeah. which yeah. They put in there is like, how are they eating? They live, in, they live in fields. How are they eating? Oh, let's just have this guy that, you know, she fucks for food. Let's throw him in there. Uh, yeah, and then that's immediately followed by, I think, the embalming scene where, you know, she walks in on her, you know, taking the blood out of her dad or whatever. It's just, yeah, it's weird and, like I said, so oddly specific. So in a way, even the, like, 
because it, it it is escapist. I think the escapism is a way for it to literally escape from mm. like the problematic nature that one might have, because uh, they can just kind of be like fairy tale. But I don't know. But this is sort of maybe this is like well what you said about Gilliam's worldview is like let's escape into our imaginations mm. or whatever. But this is a movie where that's like literally impossible. <laughs> so maybe that's like it's where, where the uh, the dealing with Harvey Weinstein uh, or. Uh, I guess the Bush administration. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is Gilliam's idea time. of escaping his own. World. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's the worst part of it. Like if that's his idea of escapism. Like that, it's it's really unpleasant. I uh, think like movies where characters like uh, precocious children escape into their imagination to escape from traumatic events is probably my like least favorite subgenre. Yeah. yeah. I recently saw uh, Heavenly Creatures for the first time. <laughs> Thought it was. So awful. Um, yeah. I don't know. Can you think of a good example of one of those movies? I guess people like Heavenly Creatures. Uh, Life is Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I literally have no answer to your question. I can't think. I, I, I typically avoid those kinds of movies because I don't. It is. Like, it's really I just generally dislike art films about children. That's like the worst thing I have. <laughs> Even like, like children, like yeah, children suck. Like even like so, <laughs> even something like Spirit of the Beehive. I'm kind of well, like eh. even that was like yeah. uh, granted, granted. I'm going to put a huge caveat. This like I saw this ages ago. Remember that yeah. bored the shit out of me. Yeah. I saw it. <laughs> I actually fell asleep during that tip. So yeah, I don't know. Like if you. Either have you seen the Lovely Bones? Yes, yes. I saw that. Oh, in yes. the I saw that in the theater. You're the not rewatching that. I've seen it twice because I, I showed it to a friend. I said, "You have to know how bad this movie is." It's so bad. Oh the, my the god! The montage was Susan Sarandon doing with the line, all the bubbles popping out of the, the like when she's. I tried. Oh, oh my god! I because I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen this came out. There's no way I was watching it again. <laughs> I just, I remember, oh my god, I think I remember the weird drama tension scene in which Stanley Tucci is trying to throw her body in a chest, like her yeah. corpse, into a dump, and there's like a weird tension about it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the guy was like, it's a giant pit, I just remember yeah. this worker comes up and he's like, what are you doing around here? And I was like, it's a pit. <laughs> Why are you? It was so bad, oh my god. Yeah, oh god, yeah, so... I'm, yeah, I can't think. I can't even think on time. There's one movie. I mean, that's a fairly specific, like, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's something that like directors who are known for being imaginative turn to every once in a while. Like, the Pan's Devil's Labyrinth. Yeah, like, I was thinking, thinking, the yeah. Devil's Backbone. <laughs> I did like Pan's Labyrinth when it came out, but I have not seen it since 2006. I I liked it when it came out, but I haven't seen it since. 2006 <laughs> yeah, either, I guess so. what uniformly what everyone said. <laughs> I had this feeling of like maybe if Terry Gilliam was. You know, if he pulled off something like Thailand, would it really just be a Guillermo del Toro film? Probably. <laughs> like, yeah, like, I, I don't... I don't know. I mean, yeah, again, to praise this film with reservations again, I don't think del Toro will ever make something as revolting as this. Like, <laughs> I sort of want to give this movie props. Revolting for different reasons, yeah, yeah. maybe, but <laughs> not the same reasons as this. Uh, yeah, it, it's... It's a weird thing in which, yeah, there's a begrudging respect for it, because at least you're like, well, this is a vision. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that DMX feeling. Yeah, talking. so, so <laughs> speaking of which, would you say it has that DMX feeling? I gotta say, the, like, the opening scene of the little girl preparing the heroine for Jeff Bridges, yeah. that's got that DMX feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Bridges singing a song about Van Gogh in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was actually pretty fun. <laughs> That's the only line I heard. It just I love how it like opens with that to establish like he's a musician, but there's like no sense of success or anything related to it. 
Well, I think it's supposed to like signal how debauched his lifestyle is because there's people like doing cocaine off the tables in that weird bar, which is probably just some bougie place in Regina. You give me this image of like people, the guys just like, oh, he's in the arts. Okay, fine, it's fine. A real predecessor to Crazy Heart. Yeah. I had a real hard time listening or watching this movie at a volume where I could understand what he was saying. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't understand most of it. And weirdly enough, I do think uh, Jodel Ferland is like not bad in the yeah, role. Like, I think she's, she's actually pretty like she carries it okay. But um, I uh, well, I don't. I so like. Of what she said. I mean, most children are bad actors, and she's fine as far as it goes but it just seemed like brutally unfair to like yeah. put this yeah I, on exactly her shoulders. Oh, okay. i thought you were about to get into like the uh ebert blue velvet like <laughs> isabella, isabella rossellini thing with the kid i guess not <laughs> oh, uh yeah as i would say no this doesn't have the dmx in it, but maybe it's just my own weird thing yeah. I, I i would agree yeah the opening sure <laughs> yeah jennifer tilly having the heart attack from the methadone sure like that opening, but then once it goes into the whole like, then I'd say no. I'd say yeah. I think I would agree with both of you. Portions of it do, but overall, I'll say no. But I I'd say the middle portion doesn't. When it gets into the, like the silly kisser stuff, yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> didn't even get into that. Thank God. Yeah, but I'm uh, I'm glad I finally watched it. Yeah. All right. I, I feel like we didn't have that much to say. About I feel like that was still like a good like. How far are we get? Twenty five minutes. Okay, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with. You want what? We talk with the Joker trailer to fill out time. <laughs> <laughs> My teacher's gonna make me write a book report on Tiger. Excellent. What do you think you might say? Excellent. Yeah. What kind of book report? What do you think you'd say about it? An excellent bit of writing. The spelling was correct. Most of the punctuation was proper. That sort of thing. Uh, do you say it's a page turner? I couldn't put it down. It was a page turner. Um, it was dull. It was um, no. It was repetitive. It was derivative. Do you know what derivative means? Why not? Get out of my face. I don't want what, what is it? Derivative is, is the kind of things that that um, what's his name? Roland Emmerich is de- derivative. All of, he's the guy that made uh, Day After Tomorrow and Godzilla, because all of his shots derive from Steven Spielberg shots. They're all identical almost. So he's derivative. He doesn't make original films. He makes films that are like somebody else's thing. So if you're derivative, you're acting. You're, it's like you acting like Nick Nolte. If you learned your acting skills and copied Nick Nolte, you'd be derivative. But in fact, you're original. It's the opposite of original almost. 